The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with Wings Over New Zealand, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from the latest news to historic happenings around New Zealand and the world. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird restorers, warbird owners, historians, modelers, authors, photographers, and many, many others. Sign up to Wings Over New Zealand now. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great supporters ahead from Fly DC-3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC-3 from Ardmore Airport. Charter the DC-3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC-3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. and gentlemen to the 50th episode special of the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host Dave Homewood. I cannot believe this is the 50th episode in the series already. Where is the time gone? It seems like no time since the first show was recorded way back on the 5th of November 2011. Wow, we've come a long way since then. Before we get into this show itself, I just want to reflect a little on what we've achieved so far. The show has been able to bring you some great stories from the world of warbird restoration and warbird operation, aerial top dressing, various air show specials, some of the innovation that's going on around New Zealand, World War II veteran stories, Air Force members from the post-war era, uh, home builds, civil flying, historians and authors, museum stories and a lot more. I want to thank a few people who have helped to get the one show this far. First up is Kerry Carlisle, without whom the show would never have happened. When I first had the idea of a podcast on New Zealand aviation, I uh, talked it over with Kerry and he was dead keen. He thought it was a wonderful idea. Without Kerry, the show wouldn't have ever got off the ground, so I really appreciate it. I want to also thank Grant McHeron and Steve Vischer from Plane Crazy Down Under, that great podcast from across the ditch in Australia and also Errol Cabot, who all helped me to get my head around the technical issues of podcasting and using things like iTunes. That was all a bit of a struggle to start with, so thanks guys. I'm forever grateful to the folk who have helped me to get to places so some of these shows can be recorded. Notably among them are Bruce Scott and Tom Williams, without whom I'd never have gotten to Wings Over Wire Rapper this year. And that wonderful group from Fly DC-3 with the Douglas DC-3 Dakota and the team at Classic Fighters Airshow 
and John Saunders who all enabled me to get to Amaka and make a very popular show there. Not to forget folk like Bruce Cook who have also been ever helpful behind the scenes. Thanks Bruce. I want to acknowledge and thank all those people in the wide spectrum of New Zealand aviation who have agreed to be guests on The One Show and have given up their time to be interviewed. What an amazing bunch of people and a special thanks go to those who allow me to come back to them time and again. People such as Warren Denham of Aspex and Paul McSweeney of Pioneer Aero, both of whom you'll hear in this show, and Peter Wheeler of the New Zealand Bomber Command Association, and of course the wonderful Noel Cruz, who has become a real favourite with listeners. We have lots more shows in the pipeline, and I have been recording lots of great interviews here and there for future shows, some of which will be longer term projects. I have some very interesting and exciting people lined up too so I'm confident that the one show has a lot of life in it yet to run. So long as the funding and support can be found to continue recording and hosting the shows. If you would like to sponsor the show, please get in touch. Or if you want to make a donation, they're always welcome. Just send me an email. But on to this show, the 50th episode special. Being a special episode, I wanted to make it a special topic. And really, I cannot think of anything more special than focusing on my favourite airfield, Ardmore. Ardmore was a fighter base in World War II, built for the US Navy, who decided that they didn't need it before it was actually finished. So the RNZAF moved in with their fighter operational training unit and several other fighter conversion and training schools. It has had several lives since. It's been a teacher's training college, an international Grand Prix race venue, and since the late 1970s, the home of New Zealand warbirds. Today, it is a hub of warbird restoration and operation, which makes it pretty special. But personally, it's even more special for me, as my grandparents, Jim and Rose Homewood, had the farm opposite Ardmore running along Airfield Road from 1942 till 1952. My dad grew up there in that time, and the stories that he and Anna used to tell when I was a kid during the war and after the war were wonderful. So the aerodrome has a special place in my heart. So on with the show. In this episode, I visit several people around the airfield to see what's currently going on there. What better place to start than Ardmore Airport Limited, who administer the airport, where I caught up with Nikki Taylor. Office of Ardmore Airport Limited with Nikki Taylor. Hi, Nikki. Hello. <laughs> You're sort of the uh, central hub of uh, the girl in the office. Yeah. <laughs> the girl in the office. Um, yeah, Ardmore. Gosh, there's so much going on. We've got lots of really, really cool development with the hangars, yes. new hangars. Um, all six of the single ones are now gone bigger. Um, in fact, I believe that the sixth one is under paperwork at the moment, the offer's been made. Um, now we need a double one. I want to see a double one built and sold. Right. Um, so we've got new tenants arriving, we've got lots of restoration going on with all our tenants. And it really is the restoration hub. You bet. It? For, yep. it's, I mean, on a world scale. Yeah, the talent yeah. here is yeah. just phenomenal. Just we're, we're just so blessed to have the type of people that we have on site here um, and they really are like a big family it's um it's very cool 
But they don't know enough about each other. So I'm working on that. I am working on that um, with the flyer and um, my communications. I'm hopefully getting more people to to network and get together. Um, I'm actually jumping on the coattails of one of the aviation freight logistics companies, Redfort, and they've recently come to us and and made it a ladies' day because everyone knows that it's the girls in the office that hold everything together. (laughs) The boys just think they run everything, but it's the girls that do it. Um, so we had a ladies' day, and that was that was really really successful, and and the girls got to meet each other and, and find out who was doing what on on airport. Right. So that's just going to feed back to the rest of it and yep. grow from there. So we've got that going on, which is networking, um, events and things coming up. There's there's lots of things in the pipeline, really exciting big things in the pipeline. Which you can't talk about just yet. Not just yet. No, <laughs> we're going to keep secret and under our hat. For now, but uh, later on when we can talk about it, we will. It's going to be another, huge. We'll do another show and and get the word out there. Absolutely, yeah. it's yeah. going to be ginormous, which is really, really, really exciting for us, and 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 hopefully as exciting for our tenants and operators. I'm sure it will be actually. Mm. Uh, and uh, another really neat development just recently is you've got a camping ground now for yes for the, the uh, NZMCA um, Motor Camper Van Association. They uh, they did they had a lovely opening. Um, really good turnout actually. There was probably at least 60, 70 odd people here um, and the, the president of NZ, um, MCA. And yeah, they've, they've got a little wooden hut there, they're the information centre there and they've got their, their code and gate and whatnot and it's been really popular. I It's blown me away. I mean, I can see why it will be popular. It's a great spot here mm. and, and there's, there's a lot of people who... Um, who would want to come and spend a couple of days here just to see everything going on and, and also it's close to Auckland but it's yep. rural enough to be and nice yeah yeah to be away from the city and, yep. and stuff we're only uh, we're only about 30, 30 minutes away from the city yeah yep. uh, but like you say we're rural it's, it's beautiful country out here the, the lush grass and the bushes and the trees and then you've got the the aeroplanes taking off and it's it, it really is a beautiful spot and that um, camping spot's going to just boom through the summer, I'm oh, sure of it. And, and, and around the open days and anything like that, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be full, quite full. <laughs> you <laughs> may have really to expand good. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking, oh my goodness. Now, I think they're, um, I think they're limited because it's NZMCA. I think it's just the motor camper van. And they've got certain rules or specifications around um, the type of vehicles that are there as well. Because yep. recently there was a caravan with an awning. And um, apparently the, the motor motor guys sort of said, what are you doing here? Type it was really, really funny. They're quite clicky. Um, <laughs> my mum and dad's actually involved with them. So they, they, they came to the opening. They're quite excited about having Ardmore open. Right. But a lot of people are coming up from South Island and, and North Island. It's not Auckland people. It's, it really is the travellers. Yes. And they're yeah. coming to see Ardmore. And of it's course, a lot, very of, cool. a lot of tourists come to New Zealand get a camper van and travel yep. and a lot of them are yep. aviation tourists and I come across a lot of them yeah Comes particularly from yeah. Britain yes and, and, yeah, yeah. and Australia and so they would just love to be able to come to Ardmore gosh yeah you know this is you know Warbird Central really this is the home of the Warbirds well and, it is yeah, yeah. HQ is right here so they don't have to travel around for events which is absolutely key for us yes. yeah. um, but having having 
the pilots here and the history here. Um, recently, there was a, a book launch. I'm not sure if you heard about it or not. Iggy's Tales. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. The book launch was down at Warboots Club Rooms, yeah. and the turnout was phenomenal. You, you couldn't, it was standing room only at, wow. at the Warboots Club That's Rooms. Great. It was magic. It was really, really cool. So, we've, we've just got so much history. So much history with Grand Prix as well as aviation. Yep. We've yep. got a lot of history. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and uh, you know, um, the Warbird Visitor Centre. Visitor Centre. Yep. That, that's starting to really become something now, too, isn't it? It is. It is. It's getting a lot more foot traffic. We get um, quite a number of Probus groups, yep. quite a number of Probus groups through um, Rotary, Lions. Um, in fact, funnily, you should say that um, this week I've had four calls from retirement homes saying um, or asking whether we have something interesting for their residents right. and uh, do I have a deal for you, you know, <laughs> is, is all I can say, yeah. do I have a deal for you, it's call the New Zealand Warbirds and come to the visitor centre because right. they love it, they absolutely love it because yeah. you can get up close and personal with the aircraft and, and that's really, really key. Same with kids groups, the school groups they do, yep. that's really picked up over the last year, I've really noticed more calls. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So it's picked up. And, you know, other things that are going on around the airport too, there's a lot of flying training still going on, isn't Oh, yeah, well, six six flight schools. We've yeah. got four fixed wing and two rotary. Um, yeah, there's there's a heap of flying going on, weather permitting. <laughs> it's always weather permitting. Winter, it tends to drop off a little bit just simply because of the weather. But um, there's, there's certainly a lot more theory work and that sort of thing. The conference centre's being used more. Yeah. Um, Juliet's been used a heap more for uh, filming and uh, car events. Yep. Just for the listeners, just explain what Juliet is. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, Juliet's the unused or disused runway. Yes. We've got um, a runway that we hire out um, to anyone who wants to use it, basically. We've got a gentleman who uses the driver training area, which is about three to four hundred meters 45 meters across yeah. so it's a really good space for driver training um, but for filming and advertisements uh, TBCs and that sort of thing and other conference events and driver training events we can do up to 700 meters right. and 40 meters wide we try and keep them off the edges because they break up a little bit they tend to skid over in the grass um, but 700 metres by 40 is a huge space is, for training. Is, yeah. yeah. Um, we recently actually had a gentleman who did his first community event and um, it was called Stop Go. Yeah. And it's all about getting teenagers to learn to drive responsibly with their parents, which was really cool. They bought their own cars, like, you know, parents drove them in. And um, the parents got to have a go first, and they skid it, and it was raining, so it was perfect. Great. So they learned to skid, and um, not learned to skid, they learned to stop in the rain <laughs> and and be able to control a, a, a skid. Yeah. Um, and so the parents did it as well as the kids, and it was a fabulous day, although it was horrible weather. It sounds like a really good idea. It was great, great. I'd like to see them do it annually. 
Um, since then, the gentleman that worked with him from National Advanced Driver School has come back and done another event for his business. So hopefully it's going to be an ongoing thing. It's just such a good area. And in the good weather, you quite often see the land yachts out there, don't you? Blowcuts, yep. Blowcuts are there Thursdays, Saturdays and Sundays. Um, they've got the New Zealand Open coming up actually in October. So they're on Juliet for five days solid. Okay. And they they really had some speeds. Yeah, they do. My God, they had some speeds. Uh, I've seen those guys clock at 100k. Wow. Yeah. They fly. They absolutely fly. It's so fun. Have you tried it yet? No. Oh, you have to try it. Oh, you have to try it. Just bowl up. Um, and it, they're, they're just wonderful, and they love the idea of people having having a go. Okay. They're really keen for people to just bowl up and say, "Hey, can I have a crack?" Cool. And it's so fun, and it's kind of addictive. It's really addictive. They do the um, when when you get on because they they supply you with gloves and helmets and and stuff. And when you're actually sailing, when you do catch the wind and and start to take off, and they sort of tip slightly. And and they call it the the blowcart grin. Yeah, <laughs> you get the blowcart grin. It's really funny, but it is completely addictive. Cool, cool. Okay, so um, lots going on around here, and uh, there's obviously some big things to come, which we'll, yes. we'll keep our listeners informed yes. about. Yes, absolutely. Uh, um, yeah, excellent. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. We're here at Pioneer Aero with Paul McSweeney. Hi, Paul. G'day, Dave. How are you? Good. Um, what's happening here at the moment? Well, I suppose as, as you know and, and uh, most of your listeners will know, we, we had a you know pretty big tragedy, uh, both personal and professional. I might might add on the on the first of April. Yes. Yep. Uh, when when Eric Hertz and his wife Kathy were were killed in the accident. Um, other than the uh, the personal side of it, which you know I won't really touch it and obviously had some pretty severe implications for the business here yes so uh, we immediately suspended work on the tempest project that we were doing uh, which meant that we had more than half the staff unemployed basically on the tuesday right. um, so we've been scrambling a little to be honest since then um, but i must say we, we've managed to survive and we are going to manage to survive so that's good that's good um, and you know, a big uh, thank you to to our, our clients, current clients, and and past clients who sort of rallied around and decided we may have excess capacity, so gave us some work in the interim, which was has been fantastic for us. That's great. So um, currently, the the Tempest project is stored, and um, the I suppose where we are we're at with that is that the, the project is currently for sale. So for sale to either one person who has a, a big checkbook or uh, a lot of people who have uh, lesser checkbooks. So we're just, we're just really waiting on a sale on that um, and, and hopeful, ever hopeful that it'll stay in this country. Yes. And um, we're putting a little bit of effort in at the moment to try and make sure that happens. So we, we had a little snippet on TV3 which, which sort of garnered up a little bit of interest. Yep. And we're now following that up with advertisements in uh, the aviation magazines uh, to try and try and keep the aircraft here so under what format uh, it stays here whether it's a, a syndicate or a trust or sole ownership um, we, we don't know yep. uh, and won't know till people come out of the woodwork I suppose 
but um, we're sort of keen to to leap back into it. So if anyone anyone listening's got a got a nice big fat checkbook and they want to make it a bit smaller, they can come and have a yak to us. <laughs> I've just been looking around the hangar with you and um, had a look at the work that had been done up until that point. Yeah. And uh, it's remarkable the big difference since the last time I looked at it. it yeah, well, I mean, we great. were, I suppose, it really just started to get our teeth into it. And um, the, the biggest, I suppose, visual progress item is that, that truss on the forward fuselage, yeah. which um, looked pretty rumpy and secondhand when it came in. And now it, uh, it gleams and looks like a million dollars. So, yeah. um, you know, we're, we're certainly pleased with the, with the work that's been done thus far. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we also. Uh, had gone some way towards solving the problem with the engine, which we always thought was going to be a major stumbling block. Right. Um, and we're just about to sort of push the button on getting some engine repairs done uh, when when the accident happened. So, right. Right. so yeah, we. Um, other than that, we've had um, another strike master come in from Australia. That's very exciting. Yeah, it is very exciting. I mean, I got a bit of a soft spot for the strike masters. I was really glad to see them go when they, they left the Air Force and yeah. then when the Mackies arrived I wanted the Strike Masters back the same as everybody else, yeah. <laughs> other than a few pilots. Yeah. Um, so you know, good to see them coming back. Uh, this makes number three in the country now behind um, Brett's one and, and Brian Hall's in Christchurch. Yep. Um, it's an ex-Kiwi one, 72. So uh, I'm pretty sure that you know a lot of people would have, would have seen it in its, uh, its former life and remember it fairly fondly. I think 72 used to get a lot of photo shoots done with it too, didn't it? Certainly have a lot of, both 70 and 72 we've got a lot of photos of, so it's, yeah. it's quite neat. Um, and we're looking forward to, to getting a three ship together. Ooh, so uh, watch the space, I suppose. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, so, so other than that, we're uh, continuing um, working on mosquito fuel tanks uh, for AVSPECs. Yes. So uh, Steve did uh, all 12 fuel tanks plus the long-range oil tanks and that for the last mosquito. Yep. Um, so he's back into into that again. Um, he's less than pleased about that on some days. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the brief with this aircraft slightly different. So um, a lot of the original tanks are being overhauled instead of new ones being made. Right. Um, it's actually quite easy to make a new one. It's sometimes very difficult to overhaul the old ones. Okay. okay. So, uh, so that's that's causing them a few issues. Um, as you saw, we're also uh, making P40 spinners. I think we're on to about number eight of those that we've made now. Wow. Primarily, uh, as that one is for Hamilton standard conversions. So, as the Curtis electric propellers become uh, rarer, more expensive. Uh, more and more people are opting to put a Hamilton standard prop on their P40 and uh, we make the spinner to enable them to do that. Does that make much difference or any difference to the performance of the P40? No, it pretty well stays the same um, and the propellers, uh, certainly the ones that we've put on here, we've had them cut and shaped to look like a Curtis propeller Okay. but we don't reprofile them. Um, they're that the profile is that close that it's not worth going there. Okay. Yep. Um, and they work they work really well. Um, the Curtis Electric is a very reliable propeller if you can keep the oil out of the electrics. That's the only time we have issues is when we get oil in the in amongst the points, yep. and then you can have some problems with it uh, not working in automatic. 
the Hamilton doesn't have that issue, um, and the Hamilton is, is much easier to get hold of, much cheaper, and, and easier to overhaul as well. So, so um, more and more people, even if they do have a Curtis propeller, are deciding to archive those, just stick them on the wall, and, and fit a Hamilton standard. So the, the more that want to do that, the, the happier we are as well. Yeah, true. Yeah. true yeah. Um, also building a, um, a P40E fuselage, which yep. is coming along and you know hopefully, uh, certainly by this time next year, it'll be starting to look like a, an aeroplane. Yes. Um, yeah. So just in, in the hard stuff where there's a lot of work goes in and, and not a lot of visual progress, so uh, all the frames have been built uh, all, all, all the frame pieces have been built and the frames are now being built up and then uh, hopefully late this year, early next year we will start fitting them onto the jig we have and then uh, yeah, the visual progress will be much greater from there. Great. Um, what else have we got out there? Titan Mustang. Oh, a little Titan Mustang, yeah, that's um, coming along very well. Um, so that's the, the three and a half litre Honda one. Um, we're going to fly it here for a few months, depends a little bit on when we actually get it finished and certified. Um, it's going to stay in the country at least for six months yeah. and uh, then likelihood is that uh, it will go to Australia. They're a neat little aircraft actually, I've, they've really uh, grown on me in the last few years. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, if you can't afford a Warbird and you want something that looks like a Mustang then it's certainly as close as it gets that's economic yeah. Um, yeah. within the realms of, of mere mortals, you know, ability to fund, yeah. shall we say. And, and I think with the, you know, with the three and a half litre Honda, it's a, it's a real performer. Right. Um, so I think they're quite exciting and, uh, you know, retractable gear and this one's got the four bladed prop as well. So right. it, it looks, you know, look pretty good. They're, they're never going to be a real Mustang, no. um, but as long as the owner does, you know, uh, realises that I suppose there's not too much of an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course you've got the uh, bear hawk. Yeah, the bear hawks. Um, basically, Gary Rasmussen is, is doing that himself under our supervision. Yeah. Um, Gary works for Cathay Pacific, and uh, when he's not at work, he's down here and and in the hangar building the bear hawk. And it's it's going to be a longest term project, I think. He's going to step the rate up a little bit. Yep. Um, I think Gary's looking at retiring in the next year or two, and when he retires, he wants the aeroplane finished. Okay. So he had had some initial thoughts about putting a turbine on the front of it, um, and still as yet undecided on the engine option. But um, either a 540 uh, or perhaps a, a little turbine. So. Um, Quite a quite an interesting aeroplane, and, and I think a, a good aeroplane for New Zealand conditions. It's a, a bit of a successor to the sort of Cessna 180, 185 series. Really, it's you know yeah. genuine four place um, bush plane. Right, so right. quite quite a good aeroplane. And you haven't mentioned your latest project, which you announced the last couple of weeks, the um, Blerio. The Blerio, yes. Um, <coughs> I, I suppose we, we you know we picked the Blerio because of someone else's misfortune. Uh, currently we're just putting it into into short to medium term storage. Um, have a, a huge box of paperwork with folders and, and that to go through. Um, basically before we, we spend any time on it, we just want to ascertain that um, what has been done is, 
is legitimate, shall we say, and there is the possibility it may fly. Now, from what we've seen, there is also the possibility it may not fly. Um, so we're just sort of humming and harring at this stage, but we have had some interest um, about hanging it in a, in a roof as a static display. So all is not lost if it doesn't fly. So. Yeah. Either way, quite an interesting little project, isn't it? Yeah, and it uh, you know it looks bits of it look quite real. Yep. And I think uh, hanging from a roof with a with a wing mocked up, uh, the only bit we don't have is the wing, with the tailplane and the, and the rudder are there. Yep. So um, yeah, I think it'll be a, a good display. So um, yeah, I mean, and that's about us for now, really. Um, we, like I say, the, the focus is is trying to get Tempest sold, yep. and then um, you know the sale of the Tempest doesn't necessarily mean that we get to work on it. Uh, but we're sort of hoping that will happen as well. Yeah. So, hmm. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, that's all right. My next visit was next door to Pioneer to go and see Roy King at Airsbury, the company that paints aeroplanes. Tell me a little bit about the history of uh, Airspray and how long you've been here. Well, I mean, I took the place over in 2010 and I worked for Paul for about, I ran the shop for Paul for about, I don't know, about a year and a half probably. But then Paul and Steve sort of wanted to get out of it and just concentrate on the engineering side of things and and I've been painting cars, I just couldn't go back to painting cars, I've been doing it for so long. Yeah. So, but we, I mean, we still do cars here. We did a, um, an E-type convertible for a guy who, Finish that. I think it was just before Christmas. Okay. And I, st I get a bit of stuff from Rob McNair. I don't know if you've heard of Rob. No. Super talented guy, like, can build anything. Yeah. Um, he built his own um, Riley, like, handmade it all. Wow. And it's got a Tiger Moth motor in it. Wow. And we painted all that for him. And I've had some. F and he does a lot of um, f uh, work on Ferraris and stuff too. He just works from home. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he's. Yeah, so we do a bit of work, still do quite a bit of car work for him. And, all that kind of thing. And yeah. But you, you do uh, general aviation, warbirds, classic stuff. There's yeah, a real anything, mix. yeah. Yeah, can we, I mean, I've done quite a bit of um, custom spraying, like in, in the car side of things with, like, not so much, well, we've done a lot of three-layer pearls and that, but um, I've sprayed a lot of Harlequin and candies and all that kind of thing, so yeah. it's just... It'd be good if someone actually decided they wanted to do something like that, like something that's so different. Yep. We just did a, an RV7 for Peter White, and that's all done in like three-layer pearls. And so the white in it, it's a three-layer pearl, but the, the 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 pearl over the over the base, over the white base, is actually what they call a zerelic. Zerelics are um, work like harlequins; they actually do slightly change colour. Okay. So in certain lights, the white on it actually looks silver. And then the blue on it's like a really super chunky, really sparkly silver uh, blue on it. So in the, in the light it just, yeah, it looks really mean, I think. But yeah, some more sort of stuff like that would be quite good to do, you know, like, because yeah, I sort of quite like doing candies and just something you sort of out of the box, you know, but like doing the warbirds is just something sort of a bit different. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And tell me about some of the more interesting warbird schemes that you've done. Um, probably that, actually that Mark 14 Spitfire we just finished. That was a lot different because there's a lot of marking out on it. Yeah. Not apart from the camoing, but um, 
you know, there's like big, like big thick white stripe goes down both wings and wraps right underneath, and yeah, just stuff like that. It kind of, which like Jason just comes in handy. He's just, I don't know, he's a real natural at lining out and stuff. He can, he can line stuff out just so, so good and so quick. And right, right. you know, he's got a real talent for that. Cool. Whereas after 30 years of painting cars, I still can't, I still can't sort of do that that side of things very well. You know, so. Yeah. One one that's um, really impressed me is the Venom that you've um, done for John Ruff. Oh, the Venom, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, it was a big job. That was like, yeah. I didn't realize. I mean, I had a look at it before we got it in here, but when it actually arrived and you start working on it, you, that's when sort of the like the width and size just kind of blew me away a bit, you know? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, that actually came out really good, that thing. It did. And, yeah. and in the air, it just looked perfect, you know? Yeah. And you forget that it's got the pointy nose. It actually looks yeah. just like the. Yeah, well, what we did was we. You know, how did someone turn the nose on that one, on that venom? It looks like it's kind of run into a wall because it sort of kicks up slightly. So what we did with the with the matte black is actually brought it down. So kind of optically, it doesn't look um, as, as like so sort of flared up at the front of the right. nose. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. look at you. Yeah. It was actually Warren's idea. He goes, oh, you should bring that down. I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll do that. Yeah, yeah so yeah. that actually worked really well. Yeah, but, um, yeah. And that tomahawk we did for um, Warren and them, I think that was, well, because I was working for Paul when we did the repeat, and we did that um, uh, Vintage Wings of Canada's P40. Yeah. That was like Pioneer built that. And then I think once we did the repeat, I think that's when Warren sort of had a bit more sort of, because I suppose I was an unknown quantity, even yeah. when I was working for Paul, but when we finished the repeat, he was yeah, pretty happy with that. So yeah. then we got the, the Tomahawk, and that came out really good. And, I think that ended up winning, not not one like year reserve grand champion at Oshkosh, and That's right, yeah. yeah, won a couple of things here in Reno Air Show, best best fighter or something. But um, yeah, stuff like that. It, it's I know it's just quite cool working on that Wolbert stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the repeat, um, that's one of the most stunning paint jobs I've ever seen. Yeah, it yeah, just, come, yeah. It just it makes it, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I never actually because you know I'm out of the car. I've always liked planes, but I'm out of the car industry at the end of the day. Yeah. But. Um, I suppose I was lucky when I did my time. We, um, like, as far as working with aluminium, we we started painting the the very first um, aluminium dinghies that uh, Foreign Industries ever made. Yep. And well, I think they may used to make them raw, then they got into painting them. And I mean, the materials you had to use on aluminium then were nothing to what you've got now. They, you know, so but at least you gave an insight into the preparation of aluminium and canvas was a whole different thing. Yes. But then once we started working on the repeat, I realised that there is like a lot you can do with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, I mean, you've got to be a little bit more careful, but yeah, there's no reason you can't bring it up as glossy as a car or, you know, there was a little bit of people going, oh, well, you know, that's not, it, it's, that, you know, that's not how they were. But it's like I say to them, yeah, but just if they'd had the product availability uh, then that you have now, I bet you they would, especially if it was done like the, the King's Colours and stuff. So exactly, yeah. You know, yeah. so I sort of fight that little argument with that sort of thing. You know? <laughs> and I mean, the only reason I, because I actually, um, I mean, it was pretty good off the gun. I was quite happy with it off the gun, but um, it had a couple little bits of dust and crap, and just a couple of small bits. And I, I, they were sort of quite visual when you walked up to the plane, and. Um, so I thought I'll just I'll see if I I've never actually cut cut and polished canvas, but 
So I just gave these little bits of crap in them a little a little nib out and hit it with the buff and, the, and it just glossed right up and the scratch marks did. So then I thought, oh, well, I'll just flatten down the whole plane. So a 2000 flattened down the whole plane by hand and then cut the whole thing with the machine and yeah, it came out really good, that thing. Great, great. Yeah, I was quite blown away with it. Cool. And of course, you're still doing um, general aviation stuff, sisters, yeah. pipers and all yeah. that. Yeah. So if, if anybody out there wants to um, get their aircraft either touched up or painted, yeah. they can come and see you. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we do anything and everything, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, tell the listeners uh, how they get hold of you. Um, you can get hold of us on uh, 092999992 or my mobiles. 021 184 1141. Yep. Do you have and, a website or anything? Um, I've got a face. I haven't got a website, but I've got a Facebook um, company page. Yep. It's just um, if, you, if you're in, if you go into Facebook, it's just Airspray Ardmore Limited. Yep. Yeah, and it's got all the photos of all the things we've done, the Jags and all the other stuff we've done. And, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks very much. No, you're welcome. Cheers. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm at uh, Avspex, one of Ardmore's well-known restoration workshops, and I'm talking with Warren Denham. Hi, Warren. Dave, how are you? Good, good. Um, can you give us a bit of an update of what's happening here at the moment? Uh, the mosquitoes all over and gone, and you've moved on to other projects. So. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not quite as famous as we were this <laughs> year. Um, well, we, uh, <coughs> we got back from playing with the mosquito uh, in June, Last show was the one up in uh, in Hamilton in Ontario, where uh, the airplane flew with uh, Lancaster up there. Yep, yep. And uh, since then, uh, we have been um, trying to get some of the other projects we've had in the back of the hangar back on back onto the front burner. Uh, we've got a Mark 16 Spitfire for uh, Tony Banter from uh, Livermore in California that we started quite some time ago. It's been on on again off again sort of project yeah and uh he's uh, all motivated to get it going again now so we've pulled the wing we, we've we've already restored quite a bit of it but uh, we still had one wing left to do and we've put that in the jig and got a couple of guys uh, going through that and uh, pulling out all the magnesium rivets and uh, re-riveting it up and replacing the corroded bits and pieces within that wing but it's very in very good condition and I think we'll end up using you know 90% of the original wing structure I mean 252 is a dream project really it was one of the uh, gate guardian spitfires that Tim Roosters and uh, sort of exchanged for fiberglass ones back in the 80s went around all the bases in the UK and did deals to swap their real Spitfires for uh, replica ones and this one was one of that group but it never uh, they kind of kept it in uh, historic flying's hangar for a long time and the sort of story was that it was the best one of the lot and they were going to keep it and do it themselves right um, which they never did I don't think because they didn't you know there was never the money for that so uh, it ne- had never been basically restored by anybody okay uh, and we got it, and um, uh, you know, after we'd finished Tony's P40 back in 2002 or one or whenever it was, and we started, uh, we got that Spitfire project, and you know, 10 years later, we're we're still working on it, yep. which is <laughs> can be the nature of things. Uh, but it's going to uh, be 
beautiful and um, probably late next year, perhaps early 15, we'll have that one finished. We'll fly it down here. Tony's going to come down and do a rating in the two-seater that we've got here. Yep. And uh, fly the Spitfire here, get his get, get signed off on it here before he before we pack it up back to back to the US. So there'll be a uh, a nice fresh Spitfire flying around the summer of um, 2015, probably. Brilliant. Has that I got a say. wartime um, history? History, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flew with the um, French, or you know, was manned by French Free French Squadron. Yeah. For three months, it flew for three months before um, VE Day, and uh, you know I don't know whether it shot anything down or not, but yeah. we've got uh, there wasn't much left to shoot down, uh, you know, <laughs> in the last three months of the war there was any there were any you know ground ground targets pretty much by then, and uh, but yeah it, it did operate. Um, and I can't, couldn't tell you the squadron, um, but yes, flown by the French for the last three months of the war before being, um, you know, before VE Day. So, and then outside, uh, finally outside, an uh, uh, airbase called Bentley Priory uh, in England as a gate guardian until you know whenever it was the 80s. Yep. Yep. So that's uh, one project, the Mark 14 Spitfire, the ex uh, Alpine Mark 14. Um, we've had that through the paint shop and it's back from the paint shop now uh, in its uh, Southeast Asian colours yep. uh, which is kind of nice for the for uh, to have a Spitfire in another different paint scheme um, uh, here so we've got the you know, North African paint scheme of the two-seater and then Brendan's got the more traditional paint scheme on his one and then uh, the 14 is going to be in the Southeast Asian colours which is the dark green and brown Fantastic. Uh, so that's kind of cool that the three Spitfires here are all painted in completely different paint jobs. Yep. Um, so that's uh, just waiting for uh, us to get back onto it again. Uh, we had hoped to have that going for uh, Wanaka next year, um, but it seems a little bit unlikely at the moment. So uh, there's that job, and we have um, uh, our personal project in the back of the hangar, which is... Uh, the G44A Widgeon that uh, I'm doing uh, on the back <laughs> in my spare time. Yep, yep. So that's going to be a really long one. Um, but yes, that's getting the full full pull through and a whole new belly and uh, all new interior and new, you name it, trying to reverse 60 years of commercial saltwater operations. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that have uh, you know seen it covered in patches and overnight repairs and splices and uh, uh, there is there's got to be 200 pounds of extra stuff in that airplane. Um, <laughs> it'll go so much better, so much better once uh, once it gets returned to its sort of uh, standard configuration, overhauling the engines and so yeah, that's that's something that uh, uh, I'm enjoying doing and looking forward to having done. But that's years away. Because uh, we haven't started going forward yet. Everything we pull apart so badly corroded and and uh, patched up that yeah, it's going to be a wee while for that. There's a bit of history with that aircraft, um, the various um, little airlines that it yeah. flew with. Yeah, yeah. It first started in 1951 in Invercargill. Uh, it went went to Australia pretty much brand new and flew there from 46 to 51. Came to New Zealand in 51, bought by. Uh, amphibian Airways, they were called, based in Invercargill, 
and it was the sort of lower South Island's helicopter service, for want of a better word. Yep. Um, and a large chunk of Fiordland in those days was uncharted territory, and uh, this and other flying boats tended to be the you know the the pioneering method of transport and lakes. Some of the lakes down in that part of the country have been named after the Widgeon pilots that first sort of went in there, landed there, and wow. and uh, you know staked a claim to <laughs> to the to the name of put their name on a lake down there. So okay. yeah, it's not that long ago that you could do that. So yes, it's got a lot of history, and you know everybody that comes in, sort of, oh yeah, I remember seeing that flying, you know, Mechanics Bay or out of Queenstown or wherever they happen to be operating, because it was, you know, there was um, uh, Amphibian Airways and and then um, Aspiring Air and uh, um, Mount Cook Airlines and ultimately CB Air and and Salt Air and Aquatic Vintage Airways and you know been through quite a few hands. Yes. Um, and uh, no doubt could tell a lot of interesting stories about places that it went to and yep. trouble that it got into. And there's lots of scars all over it from from all those adventures. Saved lives, no doubt, in its own little way. Uh, so, yeah, very historical for New Zealand. And uh, um, I've got pretty much all the log... I've got all the log books right back to its first, first sorties here in New Zealand. Right. Um, but uh, I'd love to see more pictures of it from uh, that people may have of uh, of any widgeon operations actually uh, throughout the country. So uh, uh, shout out to anybody out there that's got stuff on uh, on the widgeon pictures of the widgeon. ZK AVM Alpha Victor Mike. Uh, you know there's other ones around. Obviously uh, Fred Lad flew BAY and. Uh, uh, CGH and what have you, but um, yeah, AVM was based in Invercargill for a long time, and uh, ultimately ended up here in Pi here. But yeah, so that's a bit of fun for us. Yeah, and um, uh, we just put a new motor in the two-seat Spitfire. Uh, it, it was due for an engine change, so uh, it's in the hangar at the moment, uh, uh, getting an annual and having its brand new or newly overhauled. Uh, Merlin 266 fitted, which uh, looks very nice, out of uh, vintage V12s in California. Um, so that'll be flying again in another couple of weeks. Um, cool. And yeah, the, uh, the other uh, mosquito job that we're doing, which uh, uh, some of your listeners may know about, is uh, coming along quite nicely. But it's you know years away. Obviously, any mosquito job is going to be a long one. So yeah. uh, wing is all finished for that, and uh, we're just overhauling components and. Yeah, life goes on. Great. Nice mild winter. Yeah, yeah. Looking looking forward to the summer air show season again, of course. Yeah, well, uh, I guess um, Wanaka will be, uh, and Towering will be as interesting as usual. Um, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, don't think we're going to have anything um, that other than what we look after, nothing new from our, our camp this year, which will make uh, for a more relaxing time for us, hopefully. Um, but yes... Uh, I guess everybody's who a lot of people will have heard about uh, the Military Aviation Museum and Jerry Yagan selling off his stuff, uh, some of his aeroplanes over there, and the Mosquito uh, has is on the market but hasn't got a new owner as of yet. But who knows where that will end up. Um, uh, but I would imagine it'll be somewhere in the US and you know may end up on the West Coast, which will make it a bit more accessible to people from New Zealand who 
maybe over there for whatever reason. But yeah. uh, sadly, it didn't go to Oshkosh this year, which would have been nice. But in mind, it's always next year. That's right. And you went to Oshkosh, didn't you? No, no, I didn't go. I'd, oh. I'd been to the um, the the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum air show in, uh, in at Hamilton there, yeah. and. Uh, had the mosquito gone, I would have gone. Derek Smith from here went yes. and uh, you know had a pretty good time, and he spoke at the De Havilland uh, Forum there about the mosquito. Um, but uh, no, I didn't uh, go this year because the save save that trip for uh, when there's something uh, something there that you know might reflect our our company a bit better. So yeah, yep. didn't go this year. Would you um, recommend the Canadian Air Show to Kiwis? Um, well, you know, it's not a patch on on um, Wanaka or or Masterton or anything like that. Um, in reality, I mean, you get to see some good stuff, like the snowbirds. Canadian snowbirds are very, very good. Um, and uh, there are, you know, if you want to see a Lancaster fly, well, then that's the closest place you're going to get to see it. Yep. But yeah, other than that, I was a little disappointed they didn't fly a lot of the aeroplanes that they have in their collection. Uh, and they don't sort of... It's its a real extreme, you know. You've got, you've got unlimited aerobatics from some of the aerobatic pilots, which is sort of similar to what you see here. And you've got things like uh, Matt Youngkin flying the, the um, Beach 18 with, you know, doing barrel rolls after takeoff and... And stuff that you don't normally see an aeroplane like that doing real, you know, good high quality in your face aerobatics close to the ground in a in a passenger aeroplane, and it's quite spectacular. Um, and then the other aeroplanes just sort of basically fly the pattern. They don't do anything. They don't uh, they don't do any handling displays. They don't even do handling displays. Uh, they didn't even do handling displays with. They flew the two six two. Uh, from um, Jerry Yagen's 262, the 190 uh, replica, and the Mosquito, and they never really did a handling display with any of those aeroplanes. Okay. Okay. They didn't fly their own Firefly, or they, they flew the Lysander, but you know they never really chucked it around. So I think if uh, you like seeing aeroplanes, you know, manoeuvring, then that air show is you know not not one you should go to. Um, uh, the uh, Plains of Fame Museum uh, air show in Chino is a bit more uh, uh, lively and a bit more like what you're going to see here. Uh, but generally, the American air shows the they don't throw their fighters around like like we do here and like they do in in England. Yeah, I've, I've heard that uh, about Oshkosh that the the air display is sort of uh, very. Well, as you say, flying the pattern. Yeah, it's pretty tame. Yeah, yeah, but they, they, you know, they have the extreme. You know, that's the strange thing about it. You know, there'll be a guy in a, in a, you know, pits on steroids flying past it. You know, hanging on the propeller. Well, you know, hovering out in front of the crowd. You know, which is sort of something that is quite spectacular and very, very close to the ground and cutting ribbons and inverted that people are holding in their fingertips. That sort of stuff, which is like right on the edge. But when it comes to the mainstream aerobatic stuff, uh, you know, there's standout acts, and then there's a lot of very sort of tedious kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So they have a they have a Harvard aerobatic team, and at uh, at um, uh, 
had the Canadian Warplane Heritage and they were pretty good, but uh, I don't know that I don't even know whether they had smoke actually. Now that I think about it, it's certainly no better than our aerobatic team. And when you th- see things like the that jet formation that flew at Masterton, yes, uh, you know earlier in the year that was like fantastic. You know you don't see that sort of thing every day. Um, and uh, even the Yak team that we have here and all, all would stand any you know would would fit into the air show circuit around the world with ease and and be uh, and be you know well it's better than a lot of the stuff you do see so okay so i know uh, you know it, it was great to see the lancaster and uh, and the other airplanes that i hadn't seen flying but um yeah you don't kind of come away with it uh you know with your socks blown off <laughs> <laughs> but, but you did have one experience that must have been pretty pretty awesome and that's going up in the mosquito with the lancaster two hurricanes two spitfires and the yeah. b25 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, they um, they had a mosquito memory forum thing, which was on the Friday. Started at ten o'clock, and um, they had uh, Keith Skilling and myself. We both spoke at the forum. They had the had the mosquito parked in their beautiful hangar, and um, we uh, we did a bit of a rant on about that. And then they had uh, a couple of um, the veterans from Canadian based veterans talk about flying the mosquito. Uh, George Stewart and um, uh, uh, yeah, I can't remember the other guy's name uh, and uh, Mike Spaulding who's the pilot from uh, Jerry Yagan's place uh, they, we all uh, tried to entertain the, the veterans that they had there and they had some fantastic turnout of veterans they even had a uh, guy Linton Davies who worked as a test pilot for de Havilland in down, at Downsview yeah. in 1945 and he was there and he could well have test flown KA114 uh, when it was first produced, he was going to go home and look in his logbook. We were all thinking, oh, you know, we're the only ones that have flown in this aeroplane. It is this little old guy comes wandering up, you know, I want to fly in this. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a picture of himself there and, and his uh, other test pilot mates who had, had flown the, well, you know, standing in front of the 1,000th mosquito they produced at Downsview. So uh, 114 was... Uh, done in 1945 and then he made 1200 so I think there's a pretty good chance he uh, he was there when one month well he was there right through to the end of the war so I guess he he could he it was either him or one of his colleagues would have test flown it so that was kind of cool but then in the afternoon they had to do a practice for their air show routine which was a six ship formation led by the by the Lancaster the two Spitfires one from um, uh, vintage wings and one from uh, one of Jerry's, uh, and then the Mosquito and the two Hurricanes. So there was uh, a six-ship formation, and uh, uh, Mike kindly let me uh, go along for the ride with him. Uh, I hadn't been flying with him before uh, in the Mosquito, and so, I don't know, he was definitely more nervous than I was. Uh, I don't know why he should have been, but um, off we went. Yes, and it was like an hour and 30 minutes of formation flying around Ontario, and over over Lake Ontario and uh, over the Hamilton Air Show and you know practicing flypasts for the the air show routine and the B25 was up as well um, as a camera ship because um, not because I not not just because it was the mosquito in formation but also because they had um, uh, well, actually I don't know whether the B25 was connected to that now that I think about it but 
that Ice Pilots NWT program that's been on New Zealand television where Joe McBride and his family run those DC-3s and C-46s up in the Northwest Territory, yep, yep. he and his son were at the air show, and that's as one of the episodes in that series, in, that, in the latest series, uh, they're doing a feature on on the Canadian Warplane Heritage Air Show, and the and the they they I don't know whether they flew down in one of their airplanes. I didn't see one of their airplanes there, but anyway, they were being filmed for an episode of the of that TV program, and he was on board the Lancaster in that afternoon flight with his film crew. There was also uh, Discovery Channel people there taking making movie of it and untold photographers and B25s and all the rest of it. So it went on and on and on and on this flight. And ultimately, um, uh, and I took a bit of a video out of the mosquito of the formation. Yes, and so to cut a long story short, it was pretty cool to see the Lancaster uh, up close uh, out of the mosquito, and you know, the, obviously the other airplanes. Um, and it was great to be part of that, you know, which which was quite a sort of historic formation, I guess, for for uh, for the Canadian warplane heritage. And uh, Keith Skilling was on board the Lancaster as well for that flight, and he was, uh, really, you know, living a lifelong dream of getting to uh, fly the Lancaster. So they stuck him in the right seat at one point, and he had to steer around in the Lancaster, which was kind of cool. That is cool because his father was yeah, a his father was a Lancaster pilot. pilot. Yeah, during World War Two, so he's uh, he's ticked that one off his bucket list, flying the Lancaster. Um, and uh, we got you know really well looked after, and uh, had a great time up there. And you know, I'd recommend anyone going to that museum. It's it's a fab, fantastic facility. It's just an enormous hangar, yeah. full of you know just endless interesting bits and pieces to look at. Some pretty iconic aeroplanes. So, yes, great place and a nice part of the country to go to. Those of you that have never been around there, it's also a wine growing region, oh. wine producing region. The, the Hamilton is only. Uh, Hamilton, Ontario is only about 45 minutes from Niagara Falls, okay. 50 minutes from Niagara Falls, and the Niagara on the lakes area, which is sort of near the main lake uh, on Lake Ontario, is a wine growing region in that whole region, so it's a lot like sort of Marlborough, there's lots of wineries around that you can go to and right. beautiful places for lunch and what have you, so it's, it's, a, it's a great destination. Aircraft museum, aviation museum at one end, and you know spectacular wonders of the world at the other, and yeah, it's pretty cool. Excellent, excellent. You need to go in the summer, though. And of course, our our um, listeners can view your video on YouTube, can't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's about a 15-minute video on YouTube of my flight, which is uh, if you just search Lancaster from on board the Mosquito. Um, then you'll find it there, yep. and uh, yeah, oh, it was put, fun. I'll put the link up on the page yeah, as well. Yeah, okay, so. cool. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Warren. Okay. It's been good to talk. No problem. Cheers. Okay, we're sitting here with Brett Nichols, and we're talking about uh, your Strike Master. Mm. Mm. Tell, tell me about your, um, your fighter jet. Well, my fighter jet is... Uh, BAC 167 uh, Strike Master Mark 88. Mark 88 um, indicates that it had, it had um, uh, electronics and avionics that were uh, re- relevant to the RNZF but not relevant to the other marks of the Strike Master. Okay, right. Um, it's, a, uh, it's powered by a uh, Rolls Royce Viper engine producing about approximately 3,500 pounds of thrust. 
and it's all up weight is around said eleven thousand pounds, but we operate at about the eight to nine thousand pound mark. Okay. It's uh, side by side seating, and uh, as you'd expect from a uh, uh, from a jet fighter and uh, a jet fighter in the advanced training role, it's, um, it flies beautifully. It was designed. Uh, the lineage comes from the uh, Percival Proctor, yep. um, and that was a uh, post World War Two piston engine training aircraft, and it went through new, numerous variations to become the first jet training aircraft by the RAF, which is which was the Jet Provost. And they made about five marks of those. And they flew them right into the mid-70s, early 80s, the Jet Provost. Yep. And there's still quite a few flying around. And then um, the BAC, British Aerospace, decided um, that they needed a, a light uh, uh, ground attack, a light, uh, ground attack advanced trainer. And it's how the Strike Master became. Um, it evolved into it. Um, Percival being um, amalgamated in, in the 50s and 60s into what, the, uh, what then became British Aerospace. Right, and of course yours is a XR and ZF, Absolutely. And it's the first on the register yep. in New Zealand. Absolutely, so. first first top on the register, and um, it was a the uh, first example brought back into New Zealand from when the uh, R and ZF sold them in uh, 1992, 93. Right, right. Fantastic to see it back in the air. Oh, it's so so much fun! It's really a great bird to fly. Very easy, as you'd expect. Designed as a lot as a advanced trainer. Uh, the manual says it can be used as a ab intro aircraft as well, because yep. um, of its lineage from the Jet Provost. Um, as the uh, RF uses the Jet Provost as the initial uh, training aircraft, so it was. Um, it's really, uh, really easy to fly, and just a dream, just a dream to fly. Comfortable. I say you're flying at 500 kilometres an hour in air conditioned comfort. Miles an hour, 500 miles an hour in air conditioned comfort. Right, right. Um, you're based here at Ardmore, yep. and um, and the aircraft lives down at the Pioneer yep. um, hangars, and Pioneer looks after all the maintenance. Yep, they sure do. So it's based in the, in the hangar with Pioneer, um, they do all the maintenance on it, and um, it's a really nice uh, sort of nice relationship. They, if anything needs done on it, they just walk into the office and do it. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's yeah. a very, really good relationship. It's great. I love it being based there. It's got its own space, its, its own um, hangar. It's, um, well maintained, maintained to a very very high standard. We run it, um, as some people will know, we run it as a, as a uh, part 115 or adventure uh, flight operation, so people can pay for rides in the Strike Masters. So my intent's always been that it's maintained to the very highest standard, and um, uh, with, literally with no expense spared. And I can assure you, no expense is spared on this aircraft. Just look at my bank account. <laughs> and currently, it's undergoing a bit of winter maintenance. But yep, we'll be sure back, is. Um, sort of. Within a few weeks, yep. uh, just got to get a couple of parts um, from overseas. Well, fabricated actually, but um, should be the next few weeks. We'll be back in the air, Great. thankfully. Great. Uh, how, how are the rides going? Is it pretty? Popular? Yeah, actually, we're, we're doing pretty well. Yes, and, and the Strike Master Limited. We've uh, got the Strike Master, got the must, P51 Mustang, Graham Bethel's uh, Mustang, and we've got a Harvard Harvard 92, which Colin Rogers owns. We operate the three aircraft, and yes, we've been doing. Um, we're probably doing at least one to two rides a week. Right. So it's 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 proving to be um, uh, reasonable, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm not unhappy at the moment. Right. And that's really um, quite awesome these days that people off the street can get an experience in, in a jet like that, which you would never have been able to do ten years ago. No, and I think that's uh, credit to the CAA for um, giving uh, giving the aviation community a framework to uh, 
to be able to do this and um, yeah, you know I, I really enjoy it and I really enjoy being able to give some I enjoy being involved in that and involved in the management of it um, but I've also enjoyed the fact that people can experience it you know even people who may never be able to afford one or or have the skill set to fly one to actually be able to um, to ride in it it's fantastic it's fun it's awesome awesome and you're a little bit involved with other warbirds um... yep I'm a chairman of a, I've, I've got um, a couple hundred hours in a Harvard and I'm chairman of the Harvard 50 sin- 52 syndicate and I'm also um, uh, on the board of Warbirds and I've done extensive fundraising for Warbirds so I've got a finger in, fingers in a few pies yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how did you actually get into Warbirds since you started? Oh, you always, I've, I've always had a, I've done a bit of, quite a bit of uh, flying when I was young and gliders and so on and I, um, I really enjoyed um, Enjoyed it, but I, I love the historical bent of it. You know, I like the fact that I love flying, and then I can fly things that are historical and they've got a um, that are you know they've got providence to New Zealand and providence to the to, to history, really, um, if that makes any sense. But um, um, so yeah, when I got my uh, when I after I settled down a bit, did a bit of travelling and um, settled down, I got finished off my PBL and went straight to the tail dragging. As soon as I got my PBL, went straight to the tail dragging on the on a um, public cup, then a 180, and then uh, bought a share in the in the Harvard, and away from away I went. Right, right, right. So I've been involved now for probably 10 years now with Warbirds, okay. and um, and I love it, love it, really, really enjoy it. I think it's fantastic. Cool. What would your ultimate Warbird be? Oh no, <laughs> oh you Dave, now you know me. Oh, my ultimate Warbird. I think I'd have to have a few. Uh, Yes, call me, call me middle of the road guy, but I have, have to have a few. Um, from a jet era, just uh, F4 Phantom. Phantom, absolutely, no question about it. Phantom, I think the Phantom's one of the, it's the spitfire of the 60s, you know, and the 70s, you know, it really is. It's It um, was a war, workhorse, uh, for better or worse, in, uh, in Vietnam and in Europe and um, where other places for the Cold War, you know. And so, from a jet perspective, the F4 Phantom, um, from a uh, propeller perspective, well, I'm, I'm old school on this, and I say, uh, and the, the purist out there will hate me, but I say Mustang, P51 Mustang. Yep. That, wrong with that. No, I love the Mustang, and uh, I think it's a fabulous aircraft. I, I'm absolutely in love with the Mustang. I really am. So there's my two, Excellent. F4 Phantom and P51 D Mustang. Both American, I know, but uh, nothing wrong with that. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much, Brett. Thanks, Dave. Awesome. Cheers. Yeah. Okay, I'm just sitting here with John Kelly, or JK, Vice President of uh, New Zealand Warbirds Association. Hi John. How you doing Dave? Good, good. Um, tell us about what's happening in warbirds these days. Um, well I guess uh, over a period of um, time we're coming, we're starting to find our, our feet from being a, an organisation that sort of had a bunch of aeroplanes and pilots to a, more of a uh, organisation that's sort of fostering people into aviation. Right. And... Um, um, also, with uh, if you take things like our open days nowadays, um, we've got a huge um, support from volunteers. That I'd say a few years ago we never really had, right? And um, to a point now where I think most of the majority of our members are actually um, non-flyers, but are interested in warbird-type aeroplanes. So that's great. Yeah, and I think probably what's happening nowadays too is we've got um, 
we've bought a uh, formed a syndicate um, that um, uh, a number of people own plus woolbirds um, of a chipmunk yep. and that's designed to um, be the first step of people getting into um, tail dragging and um, eventually to move into Harvard so right. so those are airplanes um, available to anybody who wants to learn some tail dragging and um, and um, from the grassroots stuff and and um, then get into Harvard, so yeah. Okay, okay. so you're almost like a warbird flying school sort of thing. Now. Yeah, it's it's starting to become that way. We we don't um, we don't we haven't really done flight training as such. More so type ratings and and um, aerobatic ratings and um, uh, you know low level display approvals and all that. But but now what seems to be happening is more and more people are to make that first step. They've got to get, get some experiences in terms of tail dragging and that. So. That's where the chippies come in really handy. Now you mentioned the open days, um, they've become very popular haven't they? Yeah, um, the original concept was really every every Sunday, we'd, uh, or a Sunday of a month, we would um, drag the aeroplanes out and the public come along and have a look at them, but, but uh, we've sort of, because of the effort goes into them, we've sort of decided we'd have sort of two open days a year. Yeah. And um, they're not, not an air show, um, Thing behind it is really to show the public what Woolbeds is about. Come out and have a look at the visitor centre. Um, the aeroplanes have got here, like the Skyhawk, and um, um, the concept around the flying side is really for pilots to have a practice. Yeah. So um, all the aeroplanes that are flying and the display slots are all paid for by the by the pilots themselves, and and uh, gives gives the instructors um, opportunity to see how their students are doing in terms of their display work right. and. Yeah. Um, you can get critiqued and all that if you want. So, um, kind of, kind of works for works for warbirds and works for the for the pilots. You know, a bit right. of practice and show off in front of a small crowd. So. And, and of course, also the gate takings come to back to warbirds uh, yeah. towards your visitor centre. Yeah, it? that's right. Yeah. So, like I say, the pilots pay for the flying themselves, and and all of the all of the profit really out of the out of the open days go back into the into warbirds and and um, we're sort of expanding the visitor centre. It seems to be never-ending exercise, but. Um, we need a bigger hangar, so that might happen as well, you know. Right, so, right. and interesting the support we get from um, uh, yeah, organisations around the airfield and, and the airport company here at Ardmore has been very supportive. So, which is a big plus for us, you know. Got to have that support. So. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And the visitor centre is just fantastic now. The the model collection, the, all the photographs. Yeah, it's really coming along. It certainly is. The um, interesting the. Um, like I say, I've been doing a lot of the history of the um, uh, set up on the walls there, but um, all the books in the library are all donated. Um, yep. All of the um, models are all donated, and um, um, from uh, members or from the public. And um, I think we'd probably have the biggest model collection in, in um, at least um, the southern hemisphere. Okay. Um, and uh, we've got a whole stack upstairs that are just waiting to be brought out. We've actually got a whole uh, army of um, modelers now that that um, are uh, coming out and, and displaying the models and um, into different eras and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, no, uh, been really good actually. It's great to see the enthusiasm, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's I think that's one of the things that's changed over with uh, with Woolbirds and that it's um, um, you're getting these little areas of enthusiasm popping up, like got, got the military jeep um, guys coming around. Yeah. Um, uh, they're, they're forming their own little thing. We've got the modellers who um, um, 
have started coming into the organisation now too. They're doing their own thing, so yep. it's kind of yep. uh, it's not just about aeroplanes anymore and pilots. Yeah, it's, um, that's the best thing that's happened to the place is that people can now come in and find themselves a bit of a niche in warbirds, you know. So. Right. And of course, outside of Ardmore, you guys get around the country a bit and, yep. and go to all the air shows. And really, the warbirds are almost the backbone of most of the air shows, aren't they? So yeah, well, certainly um, most of our, uh, well, a lot of the display pilots here, they're all um, members of uh, New Zealand Warbirds in one stream or the other. And yep. one of our, uh, I guess, New Zealand Warbirds is supposed to be a national uh, organisation, and it's, it is difficult to get to, uh, to involve pilots who live outside of Auckland. Yep. Um, but certainly some of the Air shows and that are um, a great opportunity for us to to catch up with those guys. Yeah, and um, and uh, yeah, the the air shows are sort of like a going to air shows, but like a holiday nowadays. It's kind of, it's kind of good. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, and you know, at the visitor centre here now, you've got some pretty interesting aircraft um, that are just on static display. You've got a Skyhawk. Mm. Yeah. You've got a Mackie. Yep. You know, and um, there's pretty much everything else flies there, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. We've got. Um, the, the Skyhawk is engineless, so it'll, it'll probably never fly again. But um, the Air Mackie, um, we got given um, the airframe with the plan that in the future it could fly again. Oh, right. uh, we've got we've got a got the engine for it, right. um, and we've certainly um, put it back together because we um, it was given to us by by um, the Air Force Museum in actual fact. But the uh, um, we had to pick it up from the gate uh, at Ohakia, so um, yeah. got put on a truck, but. But we used um, uh, some uh, Air Force engineers and, and some ex Air Force engineers to put it back together for us. So um, as it sits, it's um, it's also engineless, but um, we, we're hoping to get it operational um, at some point. Uh, there's a few issues with the with the type. Um, they didn't. Uh, uh, they suffered badly from uh, uh, FOD and. Um, and the engines weren't that reliable anyway, so um, we'd probably have to re-engine it, I think. But okay. but that's sitting there, waiting for a wealthy benefactor to come along and, and get it in the air again. So that would be pretty neat, actually, yeah. especially now that you've got a Strike Master on yeah. the field. Yeah. You've got a, um, a you know, there's a yeah. 14 Squadron Venom flying around. Yeah. Imagine the formation. That it yeah. Is well, that, that's um, one of the things that they've um, talked about at the air shows. Is um, you know, we've certainly got room for a almost like a, an aerial 14 squadron re, uh, reunion we've got because uh, the I think the uh, the Corsair that it ma is Marston is X-14 squadron yep, and, yep. and the P-40 and, and, and the Blunty so um, and then yeah, the be, vampires yeah that'd be quite a quite a, a scene another <laughs> <laughs> theme for an open day yeah definitely yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah and of course some of the Harvards yeah um, there's a few actual X-14 squadron Harvards still flying right too, so. yep yep they, well, might not, they might not keep up with everything else. Yeah. <laughs> well, this year is actually the 75th anniversary of the Harvard, so yeah. um, some of the guys were over at Oshkosh and said they did a fly past um, there, and uh, I think the plan, I don't know where they actually got it, but they write 75 in the sky and that. And, uh, for the next open day, I'm sort of looking at um, organising a mass fly past. Oh, great. So um, that'll be, a, um, I don't know how many Harvards we'll have going, but I was going to make it a radial engine. Uh, fly past so get the noise so, right. so I might invite a few fighters along just for good measure but <laughs> <laughs> that'd be cool <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so um, all the thing with the Harvards too is they're all, they're all painted up in colours that they were operated in the RNZAF yep. so that's why people, a lot of people ask why they're why what, that one's silver and that one's yellow but that was all the colour schemes they've operated in yeah all different eras yeah. through the, through the yeah. time yeah we've actually got all the um, 
uh, we've got all the, the ships that all our Harvards arrived on. Um, they're all 19... All these ones are 1943 vintage. Yep. And uh, the, the ships that came in on and what happened to them and all that oh, sort right, of thing. So, okay. yeah, no, it's a bit of background for them. Yeah. It's good to see there's a lot of young people um, in the volunteers yeah. doing the ground crew stuff and there's a few young pilots coming through. Yep. So, you know, Warbirds is going to keep on going and going, really. Yeah, yeah that's, I think, one of the things that... Uh, Probably you look at the history, we're, what, 30, 34 years old this year, and um, um, I guess, like I say, we've sort of grown out of uh, being a bunch of owners of, of ex-military aeroplanes to a, to a real organisation that's that's generating some history, more or less, you know, it's, yeah. it's um, uh, we seem to have no end of people coming in wanting to help out. I know the guy that's running the shop at the moment, Paul, said, you know, he's, the first few years ago when he came along to Warbirds, what was he going to do? But yeah. now here he is. He's running the shop. He's running the volunteers, and and uh, um, his wife misses him badly. So, <laughs> <laughs> how did you personally get into flying and, and into warbirds? Yeah. Um, I started flying in eight nine eighty, and um, uh, a good mate of mine, Richard Hood, asked, said to me, "I'm doing the aerobatic competitions," and I said, "I've never done the aerobatics before," and, and he said, "Oh, that's the next thing you're doing." So. So I just got into competitions and I bought a single set pits with him, yep. and um, uh, then we ended up buying a two set of pits, and um, so we operated the two pits for for a couple of years, and then yep. uh, started flying cubs and things like that, and, and doing other competitions. Um, uh, mate of mine, um, Peter Beaumont, said oh, he had a share in '78, and he said, "Oh, thinking about building another Harvard, so if you're interested." So we performed another syndicate for that, and. That became 53. Oh, yes. And um, uh, so that was about 96, I think it was. And uh, the aeroplane was flying by 99 and um, uh, been flying it ever since, really. So I've done 13 or 14 years worth of damage to it. But (laughs) um, (laughs) but, um, uh, and for me, I just um, learnt through the aero club scene and... uh, um, Sort of tail dragging became the sort of the main focus, and became an instructor, ninety six or ninety seven, and um, eventually the uh, one of my students, Gavin Henderson, who's um, got a share in fifty two. I taught him at the Aero Club, taught him aerobatics and formation flying. So, um, and the really cool thing about it was um, him and I ended up in the Roaring Forties formation team, and now he tells me what I'm doing wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, but it's very cool to have one of your students, you know, you're sort of um, doing formation loops with them, and uh, there's one of your students sitting there, and you're like, yeah, he's, he's come a long way, so, yeah, yeah, and sure. you're telling me what to do, so, uh, he says I cost him a lot of money, but. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Roaring Forties is probably, alongside the Red Checkers, mm. the most famous um, team in New Zealand. Yeah. And, um, you know, it must be pretty special to be part of that. Yeah, and it's sort of, uh, when you think about it, I think the Roaring Forties been around since 77 um, or 78. And um, so there's quite a bit of history there, yeah. um, and um, the Red Checkers is probably the the premier team, and the Yak 52 guys are a great bunch of guys as well, and we always catch up with them at, at air shows and that. But um, in terms of the Harvards, there's quite a there's quite a history behind them, yeah. and um, uh, I guess I think I, I think there's something like about 18. There's been about 18 or 20 odd members of the Roaring Forties over the years, and uh, so quite a, a long history that, that uh, the team's had. And, uh, um, 
But when you say that, I mean, that's, what, thirty around 35 years, and if there's only about 20 members, yeah. there's a lot of them have done it a long time. There's yeah. a lot of experience. Yeah, yeah, and that's... Uh, it's, I was looking back at the team the other day, actually, and there's always been... There have generally been ex-RNZF pilots themselves, yep. but there's always been... seem to have been one or two members of the team are civilian pilots. Right. And right. until this year, um, Frank, our lead, and, and Dave Brown, who's our soloist, um, the um, two ex-Air Force pilots... Yep. And three of us, um, other three are all civilian pilots. So, right, right. so and the, of course, the, um, we have to pay for all our flying and, and experience and that. So yeah. um, that adds up. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. but I mean, once you're um, sort of in the team, it's sort of. Um, I know Gavin. He's sort of he retired. He officially says he retired from the team about Gavin Henderson retired from the team about five years ago but we're still dragging back in and right. and that so yeah. um he flew in the last open day oh, right, okay. uh with us so yeah, yeah. he's yeah. always a ringing <laughs> so you never retire yeah. <laughs> so the current team now frank's lead frank's lead uh liz is number two yep. and uh rob sillich is number three i'm number four and, and yep. dave brown is five right it's been that sort of lineup for quite a while hasn't it for the general, yeah. generally yeah and and it um uh, i guess like the last um open day here at Arbor, I led uh, the team because Frank um, Frank was away, yeah. and we had Gavin Trithui in as uh, uh, the number four because right. uh, Brownie was away. Yeah. So, um, so although we the, the lineup is the same at, um, at different air shows, it, um, we swap it around a little bit just to just because we have to. Yeah. You know, you've got your own jobs to do and all that sort of thing. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. So coming up, we've got. Um, uh, I guess at the beginning of 4th and 5th of January we've got the um, Wadianga Warbirds and Wheels it's going to be called and that's over a Saturday and a Sunday flying day Saturday and, and rides day on Sunday unless it's bad weather then it'll be rides day uh, flying on Sunday as well and um, um, so that's 4th and 5th of January then on um, uh, I think it's the uh, anniversary weekend we've got Tauranga yes yeah, and, 29th I think it is. Yeah, yeah. and then um, that's a Saturday Sunday event and then we've got the um, Art Deco, which is always um, my favourite um, trip. It's uh, um, down for the Art Deco week. And um, usually we go down on a Friday and do a display in the evening over Marine Parade and Saturday lunchtime and Sunday afternoon. But um, coming up in 2014, with in, in February, there's, they're having a, an aviation event um, at the airfield. So there'll be um, a lot more aircraft there. Um, um, most of the fighters will be there and, and uh, uh, roaring 40s and, and um, sort of uh, tiger moths and all that sort of thing. Right. Um, then we've got uh, a couple of open days next year as well. And um, I think in June we've got the D-Day event. So, um, right, yeah. right. And of course a little bit sooner than that you'll have the uh, fly pass for Battle of Britain. Yep, um, yeah. That's right. Yeah, coming up on the fifteenth of September, we're doing the Battle of Britain fly past, and um, uh, you know, those have generally been um, because of the weather in September. It's generally just been a fly past over the cenotaph, but this year we're going to have a barbecue for the uh, lunchtime for the members as well. Yep. And um, and then in uh, November, twenty uh, fourth November, we've got our um, our open day um, coming up, which will follow similar. Uh, lines of our previous ones, but also we'll do the mass uh, fly pass for the for the Harvard net, so that'll be a bit of fun. Yep. And uh, also planning some evening events. Um, I don't know if you come up for the night run. If you saw that, we had a 
we're uh, I like to organise these events and, and uh, uh, we have a try to night run running the engines up at the airplanes up at night oh, wow. and uh, that was pretty cool we had um, Spitfire out and a couple of Harvards doing a coordinated run up and that and you get all the flames out of the exhaust and and um, great for the photographers actually because you shine lights on them and all that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah so we sort of run that out of the, over by the bar and, and uh, a bit of a barbecue and, and uh, a bit of a run up, lots of noise. Correct, correct. <laughs> that was very cool. Of course, there's going to be some warbirds at Armistice in Cambridge again. Yep. And yep. you hope to have a bit of a stand there and stuff, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll be coming down for that. Um, we're slowly getting our shops sorted out so um, and being able to move that around the country. So we Grateful to have that down, um, be able to have that down there and raise some funds, and, and um, I think also the uh, the P40 and one of the Harvards will be doing some rides out of out of Hamilton. Yep. Um, so yeah, looking forward to that one as well. <laughs> that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Oh, the, the DC3 will as well. Oh, is it? They're yeah. Gonna, okay. They're yeah. Do some rides as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, good. Just to f- um, finish up, um, tell people how they can sort of get involved or, or, yep. or find out more with the website that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I guess with the way we are with Woolbeach now, there's, there's anybody wants to come along and join. Uh, there's lots of opportunities. You can um, um, we need lots of uh, help in the, with the visitor centre. It's we're, we're a bit fortunate in that we've got we're suffering from growing pains at the moment. We've um, always need more volunteers, yep. and um, currently on a uh, terms of the hangar open um, um, uh, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays and over the weekend, so we've got volunteers working there. Um, we want to make it bigger and open seven days a week if we can, But so we need people to join up there and, and become volunteers. In terms of uh, flying, we pretty much cater for any level of flying that people want to do. Yeah. Um, and we've got quite a huge um, social scene going on, so um, yeah, we need people to join and, and, and help out with that as well. It's, um, um, you know, uh, just things are getting bigger and bigger as we go. So, so um, if people want to join Woolbirds, they can. Um, we're we're just redoing our website actually, but um, they can join through our website, or yep. they can contact the office here at Ardmore. Um, and the office is open Tuesdays and Thursdays. And um, Chris and the office or Pauline will be able to help you out there. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, uh, and you can join as a full member or as an associate member. So. Right, and they can come and visit on the weekends yep. and yep. Um, people around. Yeah, and as a member, you get to be able to push and shove aeroplanes around, and <laughs> and um, it's but great you, actually. <laughs> on a on a on a Sunday like today, there's a bit of a crosswind out there, but um, you know, guys just come out and meet up and have a chat and lean against the aeroplanes and and um, clean up the puddles of oil. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, but it's funny. I've I've always you know, asked before about um, how I got into woolbirds and that. It's um, it's always been a a mate who's probably sucked me into it, and um, it's always been over a beer that I've agreed to buy a share in something. So yeah. <laughs> if I avoid those two things, I should be, <laughs> I should be good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Oh, very good. Well, thanks very much, John. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Thanks yes. for coming up. Thanks, there. No well, my thanks to everybody who took part in this uh, special episode. I hope that the listeners out there enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it. Tune in very soon for the next episode episode 51, an interview with Richard Small of Waikato Aero Club and President of the Royal New Zealand Aero Club. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with 